I am Plata on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Elliot Landy is considered one of the first music photographers to be recognized as an artist. He joins me now to talk about his recent collection, Photographs of Janis Joplin on the Road and on Stage. It's published by Backbeat Books. They feature photographs taken by Mr. Landy, as well as uh, Joplin's own words taken from recorded interviews she gave with David Dalton. They serve as extended captions to the photographs and provide such marvelous insight about Joplin as an artist and a person. Elliot Landy was one of uh, only two official photographers uh, for the 1969 Woodstock Festival. His photographic works have been published in books and magazines for over 50 years and include famous portraits of uh, Bob Dylan, the band, Van Morrison, and Jimi Hendrix. He has been exhibited in many museums and art institutions around the world and has published 10 books of photography. He is currently working on an interactive music video app, as well as um, other genres of uh, photography books, and guiding Zoom sessions of uh, sharing stillness, all about the uh, simple way of spirituality he has uh, found. Visit Elliot's uh, website at elliotlandy.com. Please welcome to the Plant Online program, Elliot Landy. Mr. Landy, good morning. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed um, seeing the photographs. I've seen some of them before, but, but uh, seeing them again and, and reading your essay and then, of course, Joplin's words. Um, what is it like, uh, Elliot, to know that, that a lot of your photographs, especially of Joplin, um, are, are so linked with people's memories of the music of these concerts. Well, that's the reason that I take photographs, is to share beautiful moments that I've experienced with other people. That was really my initial motivation ever for taking a picture. I saw something beautiful that I wanted to tell someone else about, so I said, I'll take a picture of that. And so it's the same thing with with the picture of Janice that I've taken, uh, and pretty much almost anything I've ever done, I, you know, once in a while I did like a wedding job or something like uh-huh. that yeah. that I wouldn't have taken on my own, for example. Uh, but, but I, I, you know, maybe I've done two or three weddings in my life because that's not what I like to do with the camera. Um, but I, the pictures of Janice were, were uh, a spectacular experience for me while I was taking them because she was so dynamic. And so beautiful to photograph. It was like outrageous. And also the music, Big Brother and the Holding Company, which yeah. were the people that I photographed her with her most of all. Just a phenomenal band. Yeah. And and um, how would you, uh, how would your mind work as you were, especially in, in concert when when there's a lot going on, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of music. How are you able to stay sort of calm, if you will, in 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 all of that? That's an interesting question. I don't know how, but I know that's, that's what happens, is that I'm totally focused on the picture and getting the picture, getting it in focus, getting the exposure correctly. In those days, there were no uh, automatic exposure cameras. Mm-hmm. Some cameras had an exposure meter in the camera itself, but you still had to turn the buttons to match everything. Um, and it was quite a challenge, especially with the light shows, Stuff that was that Janice was performing with, yeah. because there were different lights from different places, nothing of which was coordinated. So I had to measure the light behind the band, and then the light on the particular members of the band. I had a special spot meter; they called it, it as a light meter that measured a very small um, amount of space. 
like a, usually the size of a person's face, depending on how far away you were. Uh-huh. So I had special equipment to do this, and um, all I was just completely focused on that. Um, very often when I'm photographing, well, not very often, I mean, uh, um, I don't remember uh, what's happening when I take the picture. Mm. So, so I'm so focused on the image and composing it correctly, even when it's not a, the exposure meter is not a problem. Uh, my focus is totally through my eyes, I guess, and I shut my brain off. So, so if I asked you what song she was singing at a particular oh, shot? No, no, not even a clue. Uh, if, if, if you asked me that question, I think I'd have the longest interview in history because I wouldn't have the answer <laughs> ever. <laughs> well, um, in, in, in those days, you, you were shooting with film. And so, um, how many shots a roll was that? Twenty-four. Thirty-six. I oh, 36. always use thirty-six exposure rolls. Yeah. I see. And and so it, it's a lot different today with, when we have these phones that we carry around with us and we can take as many as we 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 want essentially. You, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you want to ask me a question? No, I, I'm just wondering. Should I speak about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's uh, it's it's very deeply different. Mm. Um, and it matches what the difference in society today is. Right. So I'll talk about the photography thing first. So when you're taking a picture and you only have 36 pictures on the roll before you have to change the film, uh-huh. plus every picture you take costs something. You know, it costs yeah. some money to buy the film and then to process the film um, and make a contact sheet of it if it's black and white. So... It means a lot more to snap the shutter when you're working with film than it does digitally. Digitally, there's no cost whatsoever. You know, it's minuscule cost, you know, a mm-hmm. microelectron, whatever that costs. Um, and so there's no skin in the game is the expression that comes to me. And it's the same thing now with it's similar to other forms of digital communication. You know, people tweet things and they send Instagrams of things and they through Facebook or they do emails without really considering what they're doing. I don't mean everybody does that, but I'm saying there's a lot more of that stuff than it used to be. It used to be you would write a letter, and that's, that's or you would type a letter. Yeah. That's much, much more effort, and then you got to mail it to somebody or get it to them somehow. So it's the nature of, of life today that, that things have gotten so physically easy that we lose track or consciousness of the meaningfulness or lack of meaningfulness of what we're doing. And Um, it was that way with film versus digital. So one of the problems, and I'm a victim of this also, so when I take pictures today, which I do, I take photographs of what I like to take photographs of, but I'll come home with, you know, two, three hundred photographs, whereas if I was shooting film, it would be 72 pictures that I'd come home with. Mm -hmm. So... So I, you know, it's not like I'm saying the whole world is like this, and I'm not. I just mean that's the nature of the experience that we have today, and what what will help people have a happier life is to be conscious of that, yeah. to be aware of that, not to it's not to waste. I'm saying not to waste things, and that then segues into the environment that mm-hmm. we are wasting our resources. Right. Yeah. So it's really a global consciousness that that part that needs to adapt itself to the realities of today's life. The reality of today's life is it's too easy to do too much, so be careful not to do too much. You have to think about it, whereas in the 60s and 70s with film, you didn't have to be aware of that. You had only so much film, you couldn't come home with a 1,000 pictures without yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. 
and also uh, of the environment. You know, no one knew, uh, no one knew, but very few people were aware in, in the 60s and so on. And after that, certainly before that, no one even thought about it. I can't say no one, but very few people thought about environmental damage. Right. But now we know we have limited resources, even though uh, we don't feel it yet. Yeah. Um, speaking about Joplin and, and the photographs in this book, which, which as I said, are, are just marvelous to look at, you, you capture her spirit, her charisma so well. Um, uh, thank you. I'm sure you're asked that all the time, what she's like. Do, do you remember the first time you met her? Yes, yeah, she was plain. She was a plain, normal person who had a very uh, powerful voice, let's say. Not powerful, it was very, very uh, rich voice. So even mm-hmm. when she talked, yeah. It was rich to hear her. And just, it was like, if I met you, we'd probably be with the same kind of calm connection. Uh, there was, it was not like meeting a superstar who was removed and just kind of tolerating you, your presence there because you were a photographer and it was her job. She was a friend, you know, she'd say, hey man, how you doing, you know, and just as comfortable to be with her as I was with anybody else. And vice versa. She, she was. That, that's when I knew her. See, I knew the time I spent with her was in the beginning of her, of her. I can't say career because she, she was singing about a year before I knew her. But um, be, before she became a superstar, let's put it like that. Yeah. Uh, she had already achieved great popularity, but she hadn't had a. She hadn't had a like a, um, um, a national label record, a major label record release yet. So I don't know. If she changed, um, but you know, I, 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 that's not true. I saw her in Wood, at, in the Woodstock Festival in 1969, mm-hmm. yeah. and she was the same as when I had known her a year before. Actually, probably that was a year and a half after I first met her, and she was the same then. But after Woodstock, I don't think I ever saw her after Woodstock. That was the last time I, yeah. I actually met her. Yeah, yeah. sadly. The, 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 there are uh, photographs where uh, um, some of the dark things associated with, with, with her life, uh, drinking especially, um, we see that. Um, uh, it's actually fun to see her clutch a flask. Um, um, but then, you know, when you consider what happened later, especially with the drug use, it, it's not as happy to consider. Um, I, I guess when, when, you, when you were uh, uh, seeing her backstage, and, or, or she was at Woodstock, or was that at Woodstock where she was pouring champagne into the paper yes. cup? Yes. Um, she yes. wasn't self-conscious at all, was she? About drinking? You mean? Yeah. No. Well, uh, no. I, I mean, the champagne was a big party back there. Right. You yeah. know, it was everybody was celebrating, and nobody was squashed in, and there was food and everything for the, you know, for the performers. Mm-hmm. Um, so and there was nothing to be self-conscious about. Also, I don't know if at that point she had become a serious alcoholic yet. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know much about her life that, uh, from a, bi- a biographical point of view. So I don't know if she should have been self-conscious or not at that point, or if she ever drank too much in those early years. I, I really, I'm not the expert in, in that area. But I do remember one quote, one thing that she said uh, in, in, when David Dalton interviewed her, the, right. the text in my book, aside from my own essay, uh-huh. the text in my book comes from interviews that David Dalton did with her within, I say, six six months to a year before she passed mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And and uh, what we did was we just to segue, I, I try to pair uh, uh, deeply insightful uh, things that she said with pictures that match those. In some way, right? Uh, 
And I think I succeeded in oh, that. Yeah, I, I look through the book now. And, and to me, that's what really defines the book and what makes it more special than if it were photographs only, mm -hmm. because it really shows who she was as a woman, the challenges that she had to go through because she was a woman and because she was a, she was a very, a very gifted artist. And very gifted artists, as far as I know, always have a hard time getting their vision out there to other people in one way or another, either money or, or collaborators or, or who knows what, or the kind of paper you, that's available to you. Mm -hmm. But there's always a challenge for an artist to communicate what he or she thinks is possible uh, with other people. So, uh, sorry, I digress into that from the question. Uh, let me remember what the question was. It was a good question. Well, I'm, I'm about, just wondering, like, when you, would, when you would see her backstage, and she obviously knew you, so she would say hello, would she yes, ask you about your camera? Would she ask you about taking pictures, say? No, she never had any curiosity about that at all. Really? Uh, she, she came over. I, one yeah. time she came with, uh, I had an apartment. I was living in New York City then, and um, she and her, her friend and publicist, Myra Friedman, who worked for her manager, Albert Grossman's office, mm -hmm. um, came over to look at photographs, to look at my photographs to see if there would be anything for the cover of, her, of Cos the Cosmic Blues album. Uh, and they didn't find anything, even though I had stuff that I feel was better than the cover they used. <laughs> it was more perfect. Yeah. And and there's a few of them in there. If, if, if you look in the book, there's a yeah. lot of this, this color stuff that's just perfect for Cosmic Blues. Yeah. If, if you think about the theme, it's it's an esoteric, metaphysical theme. And that's what Cosmic means. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you look at some of the, 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 the color photographs in the book, it's... To me, they were made. That title was made for those pictures, but at the time, you know, we didn't find them when when she was over at my apartment like that. Yeah. The, the the relationship that Joplin had with performing in an audience, uh, we see that so vividly and so so powerfully in in the images in this book. Um, how did she view performing? Did, 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 could you get a sense of that? It. Yes, yeah, so you got a sense of that as you were taking photos of her, right? Yeah, well, I, I never thought about it. It was kind of a given. In other words, if somebody's up there singing as beautifully as she was singing, uh, I wouldn't think they didn't enjoy it. You know, so that wasn't a question, really. I, I didn't, I didn't think about that. So, uh, but I, I was going to actually just bring back the question yeah. you asked that I, I skipped over um, about whether she was um, an alcoholic or not, or whether she was. Uh, what word did you use about being about she was self-conscious about having self-conscious right so what she said to david dalton and to one of his clients or what she described she says that she never drank before going on stage mm. she only drank afterwards <laughs> right and that because when she was preparing to go on stage she needed all her facilities all her faculties to be right on so um i always remember that statement so, therefore, she had nothing really to be self-conscious about Indeed. because she did what she's supposed to do, and then you have your free time. And if you want to get blasted out of the, the space, then, yeah. you know, you're right to do that, assuming you don't do it so, it so it ruins your kidneys or your liver and so on. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can go too far with that. But you, you mentioned Albert Grossman a moment ago, her manager. Um, what was the nature of your relationship with him? Did it start off contentious? Um, oh, 
gosh, that's a long story, actually. Um, the first time, it's actually, I would point people to my book, Woodstock Vision, The Spirit of a Generation, mm-hmm. which you can get used copies very cheaply on Amazon if you can't afford to get a new one. Um, but uh, so I talk about that in there. And I, I may even talk about it in the book I did on of band photographs. I don't right. recall. Yeah. But um, when I first met Albert, we had uh, some issues about me taking photographs. Uh, it was during uh, the Woody Guthrie Memorial Concert, mm-hmm. and Bob Dylan and the band were performing, and I had a press pass that they gave me to take pictures, and then they said I couldn't take pictures, and Albert wanted to get the film for me, and I wouldn't give it to him. And we wound up very contentious to each other. And then... Um, he saw the photographs I was taking of Janice. This is months later, yeah. right? And and uh, he really liked those. And then when the band, a few months after that, when the band needed a photographer, he completely he asked me to do it. You know, he said, "This is the guy." You know, or they mm-hmm. you know they talked about me. However, they decided. But of course, the band didn't know me at all. So he brought me up, and um, he completely let go of his anger towards me. It wasn't anger of his of his negative feelings towards me. Yeah. And and, um, uh, and therefore, I was able to do what I've done that, that is appreciated by a lot of people. Um, and it's an example for how we all have to be. The more you can let go of negativity, the better your life is going to be and the more good things are going to happen to you because I was certainly beneficial to, to Janice and to the band uh-huh. by the quality of the work that I did. Um, and they liked it, you know, I always had good relationships with them. And I wound up having a good relationship with Albert also because he was able to transcend anger, transcend negativity. And it's so important that people do that in life. There's no need for negativity except to learn to let it go. (laughs) Yeah. And and that that photograph of him and and Joplin, I guess it's at a party. Thank you for pointing me back to the point. Yeah, Um, at a party. It's a beautiful shot. I, and and he liked it, and 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 I'm assuming she did right. as well. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was at there was a when when the CBS Columbia Records signed the band, signed Big Brother and the holding company. They had a press conference, a, a press party in New York City at, at a La Piraeus, I think, uh-huh. a Greek restaurant, 57th Street, of course, in Carnegie Hall, and um, that was where that picture was taken. And it was just a moment. It was a momentary pause, and there were so many people kind of going at Janice. In other words, they didn't. The press wanted to talk to her. They were, they didn't get too involved with the other band members, um, and so she was kind of not besieged. But there's a lot of people that want your attention at the same time. So that was a moment of respite where she just kind of was with him and kind of hid behind him and so on. And yeah. kind of, kind of snuggle thing, protect me, you know, like that. Yeah, it's a beautiful shot. It, it, it says a lot about, I guess, the relationship. Oh, and yeah, and, and then, right, and actually you asked me, he, he liked that. So what happened was, as a courtesy, I, I brought pictures I had taken of Janice and the band up to their management, which mm-hmm. is Albert Grossman's office, and I left them there, and then I picked them up again and so on, But but he held on to that one and put it on in, on his on the wall in his office, which I didn't know about. I didn't realize it was missing. I didn't count the pictures when I left them there, uh-huh. and I didn't realize that he had done that. But uh, later on, Myra Friedman told me that he had pinned that one up over his desk. Really? Yeah. And so on, yeah. That's so, 
that was very meaningful to him, which I'm thrilled about. Can you, if you think from a more cosmic perspective, a more uh, metaphysical perspective about life, what a nice thing to have done for two human beings yeah. who did so much for everyone else, Janice and Albert, to give them a picture of their relationship yeah. like that, that they could enjoy and they could cherish in their minds and can be so meaningful to them. What a nice thing I was allowed to do, again, speaking cosmically, uh, to offer them, you know, to, to give them something back, to give back to them for what they did for all of us. Elliot, you're considered by a lot of objective people an artist. Do you see yourself as that? No. No, I mean, I see that I am that, but I never see myself as that. Mm. Uh, I see that the work I do is is hopefully artistic, um, but I never set out to be an artist. I just set out to take nice pictures. Yeah. And and is is that something that can be taught then? Um, well, that's a good question. And I, I can't be the sole arbiter on that. But what my experience shows me is that, um, like, you know, it's the same as having a gift for sports or for being a great athlete or a great dancer. You can study dance, but you're not going to be as great as the greatest dancers are because they're born with that stuff. Mm. You can study Mozart, but you're not going to be as great as the five-year-old who can play it, you know, just like this. So I believe that we bring in experiences and talents and things we've learned from past lives and that um, those are innate within us. And then let's just say, you know, so I never really studied how to take a picture. I just studied the te technique with one with one man, really. Um, and I, I, the technology, not the technique. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that, that you can't really teach someone to be a great artist but you can certainly teach someone to do art. And, and um, that's what's important is, is the artist's own personal experience. And if the artist, the person doing it, loves to do it, like a kid drawing with crayons, mm -hmm. that's what's most important. And whether the world agrees or not is, should be besides the point. Um, but if you're, if you're trying to be an artist to make money, then that's a career move. And there are many people that make money who might not be considered, or the work they use might not be considered art. Um, so, I don't know if that answers your question. No, that does, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, wait. I, I just want to bring that sure. into photography. Yeah, please. So, um, there are people that just have an innate ability to grab a, a great photo, a good photograph, and it's got to do with more than what they're composing or thinking it's got to do with just being in the right place at the right time so it's it's more of a holistic experience of who they are and everything around them and how serendipity helps serendipity comes along so um people that just have a thing for 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 being a photographer like carthy Bresson is a perfect example of that mm -hmm. uh, a person a guy told me once who knew him he said he would walk with him, and you can just see Carte Bresson photographs unfolding in front of him. Wow. Just, they just happen there, yeah. So it's really, I think, a metaphysical, spiritual, cosmic thing that's going on, as well as having the skill uh, yeah. to take advantage of that. But if you have that um, gift, let's say, if that has been given to you, then you take the time to uh, you, you exert the effort 
to 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 um, work the, the physical skill set out that you need to figure out how to do it physically to work on that because it means so much to you. So it all comes along, you know, to get. But then certainly people can learn. They learn photography, and you just do the best you can and. And there's a lot of great pictures like that also, I'm sure. Not everybody rises, not anybody rises to the level of Cartier Bresson, let's say. Or there's a lot of other great photographers. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, um, what is it like to, to listen to Joplin today, uh, to listen to even the band or, or Dylan? Um, knowing... Well, you pick three that I still like to listen to. Oh, do you? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's as powerful as it was then for me and... It's such a change up. I'm not uh, much of a fan of popular music today. There's, I, of course, you hear some things that are great, and there's there's unpopular music. There's, uh-huh. there's, there's music that not many people know about that I hear, and I, I, I shazam it. Like, I want to, you know, who is this and what is that? Yeah. It, you know, not not high on the charts, but it's beautiful music that you hear. Um, but th- that music, every time I, I hear it, also, I'm developing a music film interactive app, mm-hmm. uh, music video interactive app, and that's the kind of music that I that I personally vibrate to, that I personally would like to use for any film work that I do. So, it's just uh, I was born during that period, you know, during that uh, that was my that was my time. I guess my son, for example, would maybe gravitate towards heavy metal because uh-huh. <laughs> that was his time of music. I don't know the reason for it, but it's a certain music uh, from that period has a, is a, of a certain nature yeah. and evokes certain feelings that you have inside when you listen to it. Yeah. Well, I can't listen to Joplin now without thinking of your beautiful photograph. So, oh, that's so nice. I uh, wow. so appreciate your time today. It's a pleasure to have spoken with you, Elliot. Thanks for this. Thank you. I, I appreciate that also. The, the uh, website for more is at elliotlandy.com. The book is called Photographs of Janis Joplin on the Road and on Stage. It's uh, published by Backbeat Books. Elliot Landy joined me on the line from Woodstock, New York, in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planto.